Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Um, great, if you've got a Bible, do you want to open it up at Joshua? Uh, Joshua chapter 7, actually. Today, the title of my talk is this, Escaping the Poisonous Grip of disappointment. Can I have the next? Is, oh, it's not on there. What? There it is. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to be a good morning today. That's great. We are going to see how the book of Joshua helps God's people deal with the crushing disappointment of defeat and rebellion and navigate out into victory. Disappointment, let me just introduce this sort of whole area to you. It's an emotion. Uh, You look into the dictionary, you find this definition. It's a sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. We all feel disappointed in life, whether it's right at the beginning of our lives when we find out the truth about Father Christmas all the way through into, I don't know, perhaps you carefully prepared a meal for friends and at the last minute it all goes wrong. You trip up and it falls on the floor. Perhaps um, uh, the thing you bought, the thing that you spent ages saving up for, breaks like the first day you get it. Or perhaps it's like a a little bit more than that. Perhaps you've invited a friend to church and you're fully confident they're going to be there. Then last minute they text and say, I can't come today. Someone said that behind any cynic is a failed idealist. Behind any cynic is a failed idealist. Someone had a dream or a vision or a hope that got crushed or thwarted and they now approach life cynically. I don't know if you know anyone like that. Disappointment obviously comes through times of hardship, perhaps uh, some of the most painful moments in life. When people don't get better, we thought would. Or perhaps you are in financial trouble. I, I remember quite a number of years ago, as Pip and I were starting off married life together, we received an, a small inheritance, had a little deposit of money. And I think when you're newly married, you so sort of want to look after your money and spend it wisely. Well, we just made a bad choice financially. We invested in a sort of a company which was really someone we knew really well and trusted said this is a good thing we wanted to support them by doing this startup company and the the shares just bombed and we lost all our money there's still there's things that i look at financially i think i'm disappointed times of failure uh, struggle in work perhaps relationships failing perhaps Failures in ministry, I, I still remember when I led, uh, helped lead the Christian Union at university, it was my job to do a big evangelistic event, and we hired in this like, person to come and speak, another person to perform, we are expecting a couple of hundred people to turn up, everything was primed and ready, and literally 20 people walked through the door, and they were all part of the Christian Union, so there wasn't one single guest, and I just remember the disappointment. As Christians, we cannot live free from disappointment. The question is, how do we live free from the stranglehold or the poisonous grip of disappointment and become a church that's actually full of faith, that's full of expectation and has a growing freedom from cynicism, 
I don't want to be in a church family that's riddled with cynicism. I want to be part of one that's full of faith and expectation. And the point is this, undealt with disappointment can absolutely wreck our lives. If it doesn't derail us, uh, and I've seen some brilliant people disappointed by God who end up walking away from their faith, but they're unusual actually. More likely is that disappointment in life causes us just to step back. And our walk with God becomes compartmentalized. So we do God over here, but then we do the rest of our life here. And we say the words, we sing the songs, but the heart is disengaged at some point. And the poisonous grip of disappointment is sucking the life and faith out of you. Uh, Just quickly, symptoms of disappointment would be this little list here. You stop listening, you stop expecting, you stop learning, you stop hoping, you stop risking. If you recognize any of that in your life, you can probably trace it back to disappointment. And so today, my job is to show you how to escape. And I've got six things to share. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn to chapter 7. Joshua, if you've missed our series, Joshua is the leader of God's people. And he's taking them into the promised land. And as we've worked our way through his uh, account, his history, if you like, of that journey, there's been some real ups and downs. And chapter 7 is probably the most ugly, difficult chapter of the lot. Achan disobeys God's, uh, God's command not to take any plunder when they take down the city of Jericho. And as a result, as they approach the next city, which is a smaller, less challenging city than Jericho, called Ai, they're defeated. So there's sin in God's people, and then there's defeat. And Joshua, he records the fallout. So Joshua 7, verse 4. So about 3,000 went up, and they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. So there's, first of all, a costly mistake. 36 families impacted by the sin of Achan and this presumption that they would be able to defeat the city. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Amazing phrase that, isn't it? All their confidence go, their hearts melts in fear and become like water, meaning they lost all their strength. They're on their knees at this point. Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord and remained there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. So what you've got there is shame, you've got regret, and then you've got repentance. Verse 7, and Joshua said, alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. So now you've got the questions. Why did he let this happen? Why us? And then the regret. If only. If only you hadn't let this happen. Verse 8. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other peoples of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for for your own great name? And so lastly, you've got a little bit of fear, but you've got a lot of comparison. What will everyone else think and say about us? What will be the consequences? And this little account in chapter 7 is full of all the classic hallmarks of disappointment. There's hurt, there's pain, there's loss. Then there's fear, shame, regret, questioning, and comparison. So let me make a couple of comments. 
Number one, disappointment never comes alone. Disappointment always brings a whole host of other problems. Cynicism, bitterness, unbelief, lukewarm faith, withdrawal from relationships. Disappointment takes you to a place you didn't want to go. It's like things spiral out of control really quickly if you uh, hold on to disappointment. It's like you open a door and lots of other things sort of barge their way in. You imagine you standing at your front door. You open the door, disappointment is there, and then all its little friends run in quickly and invade the home. That little decision just to open the door to disappointment, suddenly your house is full. Secondly, recognize that harboring offense is toxic to the soul. So people like Cain, Naomi, Jonah, Judas, all biblical figures, they all let hurt and offense take hold in their hearts and it destroyed most of them. Matthew 11 is a really interesting incident involving a guy called John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist spent his ministry baptizing people looking for the Messiah. And so he literally would, every time he dunked someone, it'd be like, no, not this one. Let's dunk another one. Not this one. Not this one. And then finally he spots the Messiah. And it's the one. And he sees Jesus and knows that this is the one who would save the world. But in Matthew 11, so a little bit down the line in the story, John the Baptist, he's in prison. And he has to send his disciples to ask if Jesus is the one. And Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is really important, this. The first thing John hears from Jesus is that he has come to set the captives free. Yet where is John? He's in prison. So John was doubting, probably disappointed. The one who was first to spot the Messiah is now questioning and doubting whether it really was him. And I've seen that many times with people that uh, have run very hard for God. And their faith has sprung up very quickly and they've almost excelled at expectation and hope in the gospel. Yet they get hit by sort of this slight disappointment. And then over time end up nowhere spiritually because they've harbored this disappointment in their heart and not realized how toxic it is. And Jesus says to John the Baptist, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, there is a blessing, there is joy in God to be had for those who refuse to be offended by me. I've spent time praying with people who've been disappointed in their past, and I'll tell you what it feels like. If you sit down and you pray with someone who's been disappointed in their past, it feels like there is a force field around them. And so it's like whatever you pray, whatever you say, it doesn't penetrate in. And what's happened is they have said to themselves, I've been so disappointed, it so hurt me, I'm never going to let that happen again. 
And they make an inner vow or an inner promise to themselves not to let it happen again to that extent. And so you say to yourself, I'm not going to trust anyone. I'm not going to put any hope in the promises of God. I'm not going to get hurt. And so you retreat, you kill the emotions, and your expectations drop. And I find as I pray for these sorts of people, it's like the force field. Anything I say, any truth, anything just bounces off. And what needs to happen is the first step for these sort of people to repentance and healing is recognizing that God, it's not God that has destroyed them and hurt them. It's recognizing that harboring offense is toxic for their soul. And that's the first step to realize it's not God that's to blame in this. It's the disappointment in your heart. And you find breakthrough when there's a humble acknowledgement and acceptance of the damage disappointment has done. Yes, you may have been wronged. Yes, you may have been hurt. But you made the choice to let the bad attitude of disappointment poison your soul. Instead of clinging hold to the hurt, they hopefully start to realize and uh, realize that it's disappointment, not God. I, I pray for one guy a while back, and he'd been snubbed in ministry. So he'd felt that, you know, the church was releasing him in leadership and it was all great. But suddenly a decision came and it meant that he wasn't given the position he thought he was going to be given. The way through was to help him firstly repent, repent of letting disappointment fester in his heart. But then the next step really was all about forgiveness, forgiving those people that had hurt him. And to be honest, I think they had hurt him totally unintentionally anyway. And then he needed to renounce the inner vows. He needed to sort of expose this lie that he spoke to himself. That I've got to retreat. I've got to sort of hold on to my feelings so I don't get hurt. And it was amazing as we just walked through those simple steps of repentance, of forgiveness, of renouncing lies that he was believing. He started to step into freedom. And you could see his faith grow. He was like daring to believe God could use him again. It's a beautiful thing. Imagine if we all dealt with this stuff. Like all the disappointments in life, we all, instead of blaming God, we, we, we started to repent. We started to forgive. We started to release. It would be a beautiful thing to see. So how does God help Joshua out of this hole that they're in at the end of chapter 7? Well, chapter 8 sparks a new day. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid do not be discouraged. Remember that is very similar to where we started in Joshua in chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have de- delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city, so Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack I. I want you to see how gracious and soft-hearted God is at the beginning of chapter 8. They are crushed as a people by the weight of sin and the weight of defeat. And God says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. That phrase, do not be discouraged, I think only happens three times in the whole of the Bible. 
They're special moments where God wants to intervene on a downcast people that he wants to use to fulfill his purposes. Very unusual saying or phrase. And not only that, but do you remember at Jericho, they were told to dedicate all the plunder to God. But Achan, he stole some for himself, hid it in the ground in his tent. Well, this time, despite all of that, God says, capture this city and you can have everything. And I find that interesting. You guys don't look very interested this morning. But I find that really fascinating. Because you would think because of Israel's bad record of greed at Jericho, God would, if you like, be far more reserved in what he allows them to do next time. It's like we think the best way to prevent disobedience is usually to take away opportunities for it to happen. But God knows a better way. He says, this time you can have all of it. And you've got to ask, why? Why does God do it that way? It doesn't make any sense. And I think it says everything about the nature of the God that we worship. So number three, believe in your heart the truth that God is good and God is generous. Amen? God uses bad for good, but he doesn't like bad. God uses bad for good, but he doesn't like bad. His aim is to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And his kingdom is a place of peace and joy and life and light. We must find ways to let the truth overpower the lies that make us believe that God is stingy or uninterested or not the good father we hope him to be. For me this week, it's been interesting in my own times with God to try and sort of deal with unprocessed disappointment. It's nothing like having to preach on this subject, to do a little bit of work in your own heart, to realize there is disappointment that is lingering in my heart that I've not dealt with. There's people I've not loved well. There's wrong decisions that I've made as a leader that have impacted this church. There are moments where I failed as a husband or I failed as a dad. And I need to say this, it's absolutely fine to feel disappointed. But it's impossible to move on unless you lay this truth that God is good and generous in your heart as a foundation. And it becomes this immovable platform for you to build on. Because if you do not believe that over everything God is good and God is generous, then, I don't know, there's no hope. There's no redemption. Like in your disappointment, there's nowhere else to go. It's like, I put it like this, disappointment and hope live in the same place in our hearts. They live in the same place. And so if you cannot replace disappointment with something, then you're stuck with it. You've got to have something outside of yourself to fill that hole that's in us. You need one to shift the other. Romans 8.32 paints the picture of the sort of God you want to trust. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God takes the mess of sin and rebellion and enters into it ultimately in Jesus who deals with it at the cross And redeems it and us. So what we see God doing at I. 
That's what Jesus effectively does for us at the cross. He enters in, though we don't deserve it, and gives us grace when we should have had punishment. And the way through disappointment is praying for faith to believe that God is a good and generous God. He is not to blame. Part of this laying down, um, uh, part of this accepting this truth is laying down the rights not to, or the right to understand why something has not met your expectations. Lay down the right to have to understand. Otherwise, you will constantly be working out what happened in order to gain peace in your heart. And the feeling will be, unless I can work it all out, then I'm never going to be happy with what happened. You've got to lean into the goodness of God and trust him rather than fix the problem or fix the thing that hasn't met your expectations first. Don't put your hope here. You have to give up your rights to that. God may in time let you know why this thing happened. But if you wait for it, you're holding God to ransom. And that's not a great place to be. Fourthly, believe in your heart that God owes you nothing. Incredibly, God offers them a second chance at defeating the city of Ai. He doesn't need to, but out of his goodness, the plan is back on. So verse 1, take the whole army with you and go and attack Ai. For I've delivered you into your, into your hands, the king of Ai, and his people is sitting in his land. I believe in culture, and we find this in our church as well, that there is an environment of entitlement in Western society. We feel we're owed stuff all the time by everyone. Our parents, by people, by God. We live in a world where people think the world owes them something, and that is a lie. The truth is that God owes us nothing. Why is that the path to freedom? Well, many of you know the story of Job in the Bible. He's the guy in the Bible that loses everything. And so his kids are killed. His livelihood is destroyed. All that's valuable is wiped out. Yet the banner over his life was this. Job 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job could worship. Job could be thankful because he understood that he deserved nothing. And that means everything you receive, you receive as a gift. The poison of disappointment will stop you from being a grateful person. You won't be able to see all the good things because you'll be thinking about the one thing you haven't got. Many of you know I'm not a huge fan of camping. And I've had to do it this year already. And uh, I don't like camping too much because I lose all my comforts. And so I do appreciate my bed, I appreciate my duvet, I appreciate my mattress, I appreciate the shower that is very close, I appreciate warm water. I appreciate all those things. And it's a wonderful feeling, isn't it, when you return home from camping. <laughs> you know, you love that first shower. You, you know, I sometimes just stand there turning on and off the hot tap. <laughs> In wonder, look at this, this is amazing. You see the fridge, you hug the fridge, like the fridge is my friend. You know, you can leave, you, you, when you go camping for me, it strips away all my sense of entitlement. It puts me in a place of need. So when I come home, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. All the things that you just never noticed about your home, you appreciate once again. A soul that is thankful is unstoppable. 
Because you won't let disappointment in any shape or form like put its talons into you and hold on. We must posture our hearts where we never forget the gifts given. And I guess I'd put it like this. Disappointments weigh in to our hearts was gratitude shriveling up. And so the way that we get disappointment out is to start showing gratitude for everything we have. We deserve nothing. And so anything we get is a gift. And it's amazing when you start to realize that. I know I have days where I connect with gratitude and I find myself thanking God for the most stupidest of things. You know, I'll be cycling to work and I'll I'll just, I'll see stuff around me and Lord, thank you for that wall. That dry stone wall is just a brilliant thing. And it's a wall. But I just, I'm finding, I'm just, I want to praise God and thank him for everything I see. And that's a really good place to be in if you struggle with disappointment. Fifthly, worshipping through the pain is a unique privilege we only get on this earth. Joshua attacks Ai and he does this clever ambush thing. You can read about it yourselves. He invades the city, overcomes the army. And in response, the people of God, they draw together. There's a moment of covenant renewal where they stand before God and say, we promise to be the people you've called us to be as you promised to be God over us. And worship happens in a beautiful way. And if you want to escape the poisonous grip of disappointment, you need to understand that worshipping through the pain is a unique privilege we only get on earth. You see, in eternity, there will be no more pain. We will still worship, but there won't be any pain or sorrow. So there is something unique that God gives us in this life. It's only in this life, despite our circumstances, that we can declare, I worship you. And your pain might be your job. It might be dealing with death. It might be your marriage. It might be your kids. It might be your singleness. It might be your past. It might be people bullying you. It might be that you're just super disappointed with yourself. But listen, if you worship through it, God will meet you in that place like nowhere else. Hudson Taylor was this great missionary to China. And when he buried his youngest child, he said this. It's an awesome quote. He said, it would, be a tragic, it would be a tragic thing to meet the one who wipes away every tear and have no tears to wipe away. Did you catch that? It'd be a tragic thing to meet the one who wipes away every tear and have no tears to wipe away. There's something very precious in the suffering, in the pain God is magnified in it and our worship and appreciation of him is magnified in it. A way out of disappointment is to acknowledge the emotion and choosing to worship in the middle of it rather than just at the end. Is everyone doing all right? Okay. We're nearly there. So Joshua leads the people through the defeat of I and sin and then into victory and renewing their devotion to God. And that's how we end the book of Joshua. I want to end today just by being really practical. And uh, I've had to step out of the text and I want to just give you some pastoral advice. If you're struggling with disappointment, past or present, then practically what do you do? Well, number six is you find a healthy way to express pain and disappointment. I'm going to give you four bits 
If you have a situation in life where you are feeling disappointed, if you're a Christian here today, you will feel disappointed about something and then you will know there's like a Christian way of being, of behaving, of dealing with that disappointment where you trust God and you know God is good. And often in the Christian life, we're like, we feel the disappointment and then we sort of say to ourselves, oh, actually, I'm a Christian, so God's good and it'll be all right. Anyone recognize that? Yeah, we do the jump, like from feeling it to the truth. This is what we should be. The problem is what lies in between those two things. And it's undealt with emotion. It's undealt with stuff. And if that stuff isn't dealt with properly, then it does damage to our souls, to our hearts. If we never deal with the in-between, if we just bury it, if we just pretend, if we ignore it, then we're living in unreality. And God can't heal you. God can't help you that much because you're just pretending it doesn't happen. Is this making sense, anyone? Yeah, so you've got to deal with the middle. So I want to finish on this. How do you deal with the middle? Well, number one, you need to feel the emotion. So I've got a little picture here. This is what makes up us. This is what makes up you. We've got social bits of us, intellectual, spiritual, physical, and emotional. That's how God has created us. We've been created in the image of God. These things reflect who God is and what God is like. These parts make up us. If we ignore certain parts of us, it results in all of us being undeveloped as humans and it impacts all of our relationships negatively. So we can't just be some of those things, but we've got to acknowledge that we're made up of all of those things But let me just focus in on our emotions. To protect myself when I was growing up, I learned emotions were to be carefully managed. So uh, if you've got any Star Trek fans here, you know Spock in Star Trek is Mr. I'm not emotional. I don't have emotions. Well, he was a a bit of a star for me. He was a bit of someone to look up to. Because I thought if I could control my emotions that much, then I just wouldn't have to deal with the stuff in my life that I wasn't very happy with. The problem is emotions don't die. They just sort of get buried alive. And stuff happens under the surface and they tend to leak out. I would encourage all of you to have the freedom to be angry, to be sad, to be gutted, instead of shutting it all down. Don't shelve them because you think they're wrong emotions to have as a Christian. Don't convince yourself that you're not really feeling disappointed because you're shutting down the image of God in you, how he's made you to be. So number one, feel the emotion. Turn to the person next to you and say, feel the emotion. Feel the emotion. You said that in the most unemotional way imaginable. (laughs) Feel the emotion. Come on, clench your fist. Clench your fist. No, come on. Feel the emotion. Yes, that's it. Sorry, some of you suddenly turned quite aggressive with that. I didn't mean it to be aggressive. So feel the emotion. Number two, recognize the emotion. So you say, I am disappointed now. I feel the desire to withdraw from people now. So what I'm trying to do is get you to pay attention to your heart, to identify the feelings during the day. I'm down, I'm low, I'm angry, there's a knot in my stomach, I'm hurt. 
When they said this, I felt this. And then what do you do? You tell God about them. So you're dialoguing with God, recognizing the emotion. You're talking to God. God, I feel about this. Don't filter. Don't over-spiritualize. He's much more interested in our raw emotions than our masks. God is not afraid of our true emotions and pain. Now, as someone who's squished down my emotions for many, many years, this bit is often the hardest bit. So I've spoken to many men over the years that do feel emotion, but they really can't recognize it and almost be present in it. There's the temptation to move on from this point too quickly. Make sure that you've said everything you need to say to God in this bit. Thirdly, exercise self-control. So you don't just let the emotion go crazy. But you ask God, what do you want me to do with this emotion? Jesus demonstrates for us self-control. So even though he got angry, he didn't sin when he expressed it. If you just rant at God in this moment, you've done this or you've left me, which isn't true. We build up even more anger and bitterness towards him. Rather, we should be saying this happened and it made me feel this, God. Or it felt like this. And that helpfully deals with the pain. Some of you have tried to process pain and disappointment. But all you've done is shout at God. And you've not actually dealt with it properly. You've just increased the bitterness. And fourthly and lastly, ask God, how shall I express the emotion? So what is a good way to express this disappointment? And it's important you don't just cut out steps two and three. So most people feel emotion and then they express it. And if you've ever either suffered road rage or committed road rage, that's what I'm talking about. Likewise, don't feel it, then exercise self-control and shut it all down, which is what most men in the room will do, is that we feel it and then we think, oh no, we shouldn't have emotion or emotions are untrustworthy or I don't quite know what to do with it so we push it all down the Psalms are so good for doing this well it's safe ground how do I express emotion Psalm 42 I say to God my rock why have you forgotten me why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long where is your God why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me this is healthy processing he's saying why God why should I feel like this this situation is so unfair it's painful it's difficult where's the justice my body is in pain from the tension my enemies are laughing at me it seems like you have disappeared where are you God why God why me why now it's not fair it's not right are all healthy things to pray because they're in the Psalms. So I'd encourage all of you to speak it or write it or pray it or sing it or dance it or paint it. Get it out. Get it out appropriately before God. We've said it before, but Scripture gives us grooves to run down. When we don't know what else to do, Scripture provides this safe place, this groove that we can just follow. When we're lost and confused. 
And when you've said everything you need to, we must always end up declaring the truth of who God is, the truth of who you are, and we worship in response. And Psalm 42 verse 11 finishes, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. You have to end up there eventually. And the Psalms will help you find a way through. You know, um, we must finish here. Today, if you have disappointment in your life, in a moment we're going to worship, we're going to respond to God, and we're actually going to worship through the pain. And we're going to declare the goodness of God. And for some of you, that in itself will be a healing moment as you connect with your disappointment. But for most of us, the hard work of this preach today needs to happen when we leave, probably with someone we trust. Now, we have discipleship triplets in the church, and if you're in one of those, I would seek one of those out and talk about this preach together. If you're not in one, you might want to speak to your mission group leader about that or any of the leaders, and they will help find someone that you can talk to. And to do this process, and let me summarize. Number one, understand disappointment never comes alone. Secondly, recognize that harboring offense is toxic to your soul. Thirdly, believe in your heart the truth that God is a good and generous God. Fourthly, believe in your heart that God owes you nothing. Fifthly, worshiping through the pain is a unique privilege we only get on earth. And sixthly, find a healthy way to express the pain and disappointment. Do you want to stand to your feet? I'd like to pray for us. If we could have Katie back. I'm trusting, you know, as I pray for today, I'm trusting that for some of you here, it's a day of breakthrough. It's a day where you take that first step out of the horrible cycle of disappointment. I'm trusting that's going to happen. So Heavenly Father, we're here for you. Thank you that scripture is so helpful for dealing with the reality of life. And I pray for brothers and sisters here today that know that disappointment has come and it's not gone away. It's, it's, it's gone in deep. And it's brought other things with it. And it's damaging. It's poisonous. And today, Lord, we want to come to you and say, help us find a way out. Help us to find a way to freedom. Help us not to be the cynic. But, Lord, would we be a, a family that is expectant, that's full of belief and full of trust and is ready to love. And we pray, Lord, that you would do it by your spirit. This is not something we can conjure up, but by your spirit, Lord, you would visit each one of us. In your name we pray.